So we're in this series called uh, A Generous Heart. And the idea of the series is this, that we serve a God who has a generous heart, a huge, generous heart who's seeking us all the time. And uh, that's a part of, of what we're saying. And actually, his son came to earth and demonstrated and became like God with skin on to show us what a generous life looks like. And if you open the books of the gospel, the pages of the gospel, just page after page after page, you see a generous Jesus. Someone needs healing and he stops and he changes his agenda and he heals them. Uh, one time, uh, one time, 5,000 men, women and children were hungry and he stops and he feeds them. We have a generous God who sent a generous son and the most generous gift ever given was when our God sent his son to a cross to die for our sin. I mean, how generous is that? I mean, that's pretty generous. And so um, we have this generous God and we have his generous son modeling that for us. And then as we follow Christ ourselves, we're called to be generous. But it's not just an obedience thing. It's a joy thing. When we're generous, we get joy as like coming back to us. So um, I, I'm going to use a scripture story that you learned if you were in Sunday school. You learned it as a little kid, but there's probably some things in it you didn't learn. And so this is Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10, and it's about Zacchaeus. And we'll have this, uh, the slides on the screen. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to this. Um, let's take a look at it. Um, uh, some of the ideas I'm sharing come from a book called Simplify, uh, which is written by Bill Hybels, which um, uh, a lot of our six-week, we have six-week small groups on the Cedar Falls campus, and a whole bunch of those groups are going through this this book called Simplify. And in fact, my own ongoing small group of uh, 20, 25 years is going through this book. And so uh, some of the ideas I'm sharing about Zacchaeus come from that book. Now, uh, chapter 19, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Okay, he's on his journey. He's walking around. He's going to walk through Jericho. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He's a prestigious guy. He's a tax collector. In those days, tax collectors uh, collected two amounts of money. They, they collected the amount of money that they had to send to Rome. And then they collected another amount of money, which was to be their salary. And the reason they were wealthy is because they collected lots of salary money. So Rome commanded them to send money to Rome, and that was set. And then above that, they could collect. And so most all tax collectors were um, perceived as crooked and as wealthy because they were living off of your backs if you're, if you're citizens there. Yeah. I heard that. <laughs> there was a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. He was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming his way. Now, the Bible was written for us, but it was not written to us. It was written to people who would read it thousands of years ago. So sometimes we need to know some things. So the Bible was written for us, but not to us. So uh, here's what you need to know about that sentence I just read. He wanted to see who Jesus was, so being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead. First of all, you need to know, gentlemen, prestigious, wealthy gentlemen in those days did not run. I mean, it was like uh, unseemly. It was ungentlemanlike. It was like 
I'm too important to run. My slaves run. I don't run. So that little phrase there is important that you might miss. He ran ahead. Here's the second thing stately, prestigious gentlemen don't do is climb trees. And he climbed a sycamore tree. Imagine, he's in a robe, which is what they all wore. And so he's got to gather up his robe, and then he's got to tuck it somehow here. And then he's got to climb up a couple branches. Now he's sitting on a branch. And imagine just seeing this wealthy, prestigious gentleman sitting on a branch. Because he's short. Because he wants to see Jesus. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down right now. I must stay at your house today. Oh my goodness. So he came down at once and walked Jesus and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. Doesn't he know what Zacchaeus does? Doesn't he know he's a crook? Doesn't he know he's wealthy off our backs? He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. He's with Jesus for a while in the home, verse 8. But Zacchaeus stands up and says to the Lord, Lord, look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. And Jesus says to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Okay. We serve a generous God. Jesus is a picture of that generous God, the Son of God being generous. A generous Jesus comes over to the tree and says, Zacchaeus, I want to be at your house tonight. Grumble, 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 all these people. And then Jesus gets there, and Zacchaeus starts to figure out who Jesus is, and two reconciliations take place. The first reconciliation is Zacchaeus is reconciled to God through Christ. And how do we know that? Because Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. So we know that there's this first reconciliation that all of a sudden, Zacchaeus gets who Jesus is. You're the son of God. You've come for the sin of the world. You've come for my sin. You're the son of God. And Zacchaeus gets that simple truth. And he gives his heart to Jesus. That's the personal salvation. There's a second reconciliation that takes place, though. In this case, it takes place at the same time. In most of our lives, it takes place at a different time. Here's what I want to say about being reconciled to God. Being reconciled to God's way of life takes several uh, takes a lifelong journey. So, for instance, uh, let me give you how people get reconciled to think like and be like God when it comes to forgiveness. We teach about forgiveness at least once a year that we are called by Jesus to forgive our enemies, to forgive our friends, to forgive people that hurt us. Almost always after I teach that, I have three or four people who come to the front and go, Dave, you just don't get it. I will never forgive my dad for what he did to me. You just don't get it, Dave. I will never forgive my ex-spouse. And what's happening there is people who love Jesus are trying to get on the same page with Jesus about forgiveness. And they're struggling, right? Um, uh, Another place it comes up is in the area of prayer. I see there's a prayer card. You know, I can handle life myself. So I take Jesus as a savior, rescuer. He died for me on the cross. But when it comes to um, prayer, 
I'm not, I'm not with him. I don't think it's okay to ask big and little things. I don't think it's okay to be in the presence. I, I'm just not. I don't get the prayer thing. So we're not reconciled with God in prayer. Well, today, what we're seeing in Zacchaeus was he's reconciled. He's coming to be reconciled uh, with God uh, in God's way of doing things with his money. Now, I was trying to figure out, why would this be? And I think what happened was when he climbed down from the tree and he walked Jesus to his house, and Jesus is the prophet who said, I will never have a home to lay my head down in. I think when Zacchaeus opened the door to his house and invited the Son of God in, he saw his house differently. I think he looked at a big hanging that he had paid you know, the equivalent of thousands of dollars for, and he said, what would Jesus want me to do with that painting? I think, I think he, he looked at some of his extravagant furnishings and he said, oh my goodness, is this how Jesus wants me to live? And I think what happens is to Zacchaeus is he saw his stuff through Jesus' eyes and in his case, it was reconciled almost immediately. Now for a lot of us, we have to come to Jesus as Lord Rescuer and then some other point in our lives as we learn and grow, we have to go, whoa, God does know about money. He does know how to live with money. He does know what he's talking about when it comes to money. Just like he knows what he's talking about when it's forgiveness and love and neighbors. He knows. And so we keep being reconciled. Bill Heibels talks about he had a second or a third conversion reconciliation. He's a pastor in Chicago. When he came to see that uh, God saw black people and white people as the same. And he said, it just dawned on me. I thought I believed it, but I didn't until a while, and then I did. And so being reconciled. So uh, today I want to talk to you a little bit about um, this reconciliation of uh, Jesus as Lord. And it's pretty simple. Um, uh, one of the simplest communicators to the American public ever, and especially to our children, was a guy on TV called Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers. He began, uh, I, I think it was over 800 episodes, exactly the same. He came in, he took off his shoes, he put on his slippers, he put on his cardigan, and now he's ready to begin. So simple. So Mr. Rogers is earning his third Emmy at the Emmy Awards. His third Emmy. And when you, uh, when you get an Emmy, you have 20 seconds to say thank you or use it however you want. So imagine you and me winning an Emmy, and we're going, what do we want to say what do, what do we want to say to the world in 20 seconds? Here's what he did his third time. He walked up and he said, you and I, all of us, have people who have helped us get here. I would like you to picture the face of one of those people and think about them for the next 10 seconds. I've got the watch. One, two, And he spent 10 of his seconds, of his 20, letting people think. And at first, if you've seen the Emmys, at first there was this uncomfortable, the people are dressed to the nines, they're in their nightgowns, I mean, they're, uh, they're not their nightgowns. <laughs> this is what happens when I try to be hip, you know, like, it's like. <laughs> there was this uncomfortableness, and then all of a sudden, there were some tears, and there was this awe. And at the end of 10 seconds, he said, I hope 
you'll thank God for that person. And he sat down. It's probably one of the more memorable Emmy acceptance deals ever. And it was so simple. So simple. And um, a lot of times when you come to church, I think that's what we're trying to do. We're simply trying to remind you of simple things. Simple things. And um, uh, and so the simple thing we're trying to remind you, I would like to remind you of today, is simply um, how what do we do with our money so that we're on the same page with God with our money? And so uh, I've got uh, five things, and the first one is this. We realize that all that I have comes from God. That's step one. Every, the Bible claims over and over in the book of James very clearly, um, every good gift in your life has one source, and it's God. You have a healthy baby? Source is God. You have 60 years of health as an old person? Middle-aged. Um, gift of God. You have a house with a roof that doesn't leak? And a, Did you have a warm shower this morning? Did you get in a car that actually ran all the way here? Every good gift you have comes from God. He's the source. That's step one. Let's get on God's page and let's realize every gift. Well, wait. I know Ed's, Ed's going to teach this. Um, I, well, I, uh, I worked hard. Yep. And who's the source? I went to college to get a degree. Yep. And who's the source of your intelligence? And who made it possible for you to go? Right? Every, every good gift comes from God. Number two. I'm called to live joyfully within God's current provision for my life. Here's the crazy thing. The Bible describes over and over again that you're at the resource level you are and it was God's plan for you at this point. doesn't mean you can't go to college or, or um, work hard and get a better job and a better pay. That's not what it means. But it means where you are right now is God's plan. Uh, in the parable of the manager and the, uh, the, the talents, remember? The Bible clearly says, God gave to one manager five talents, to another three, to another one. Period. Now they're called to use their talents for him. So you don't have to feel guilty about being born in America, the richest country on the face of the planet in all of history. We are living that wealthiest life. You may not feel like it. You may actually feel poor. But you're living in the wealthiest country at the wealthiest time. One of the things my wife loves to do on vacations is take me to these homes of presidents and rich um, corporate dynasty people uh, who built like the Biltmore and um, all of these places you can go and she's dragging me around and I'm trying to get something out of it. And one of the things that I get out of it is this. Um... I live better than they did. Say they lived in 1850, like I, I don't know, I don't have the statistics, but the Biltmore. They had slaves, they had kitchens, uh, they had a library room with... Actually, when I compare my life to that guy, I live better. He never had a cell phone. He never had a microwave. He never had a car that would take him the way my car will take me, with Bluetooth so I can talk on the phone through the radio. He never had any of that. You and I have a wealthy life. We have a wealthy life. Um, when I go to visit, um, who, I sometimes think, who do I think is wealthy? Like Bill Gates? 
I don't know if you saw the paper this week. He made a two million, two hundred million dollar a year commitment to eradicate malaria. Two hundred million dollars a year for the rest of his life from his foundation to eradicate malaria. That's a gift. Um, you know, when I go to Mozambique, Africa, and I sit with our family, we support there. Do you know who Bill Gates is? Me. To them. They have three or four generations that live in a one-room mud hut. My wife and I have a 12-room house for the two of us. To them, I'm Bill Gates. And you would be too. We live joyfully within our current provision for our lives. Number three, I honor God by giving the first tenth of all my earnings to his purposes in the world. This is where it gets a little personal, and some of you are going to go, oh, Dave, you just crossed a line here. Here's, don't get legalistic on me. Not legalistic. Here, here, here's the deal. Um, the next slide. Let's go to the next slide. We all have to get in our lives from a from point A to point B. We have to pay the bills. We have to, um, you know, get the car fixed. We got to keep the refrigerator running. We got to uh, pay the college bills. We got to buy the soccer shoes. We all got to do all that. Get from A to B. And most of us in America, according to our culture, say that's going to take a hundred percent of God's provision for me. That's what it's going to take. Now, in fact, in America, we have a problem that a lot of us think it's going to take a hundred and five percent of God's provision. So we go in debt year after year after year in order to get from A to B. God's way of doing it is different. Let's go to the next slide. Here's actually the way he says to do it. Give him the first 10% that then reminds us that we shouldn't be greedy and that God is Lord of our lives and then he'll help us get from A to B on the remaining 90%. You know, and the beauty is, this isn't Dave Bartley. This is like God's plan. In Matthew, uh, uh, these Pharisees who are tithing uh, come up to Jesus and they say, hey, we're good people because we're tithing. And Jesus says, you should continue tithing. Tithing's a good thing. But don't lose the heart and the reason you do it. And so um, this is challenge. Now, I would even give another piece. Here, here, let me challenge you a little more. Let's go to the next slide. I actually think that if you add Proverbs from the Bible, that what we ought to do is we ought to live on 80% that God has promised will reach B and um, save for emergencies and uh, future needs and tithe. Now, here's what I honestly believe in my heart. If we want to live a life reconciled to Christ financially, we will teach our children and our grandchildren this right here. I believe on every kid's dresser in their bedroom ought to be three containers. One container that says give to the work of God, one container that says save for my future, and one container that says spend. And when your kid has a paper route, or works at Pizza Hut, or does something like our grandkids do, pick up nuts in our backyard so the mower doesn't chew them all up, and we pay them, we should begin as soon as possible teaching them this is God's way of handling money. And here's why. Then they get to live in freedom without an anchor to drag through life. So the question is, when it comes to being reconciled, being on God's page... With forgiveness, 
you know you have to get there. With love, with prayer, you have to get there. And you need to get there. We all need to get there in the way of money. Now, the crazy part is we all have stories that have been uh, like generational stories that have uh, uh, developed how we see money, right? So, for instance, one of our famous stories is my dad is a manual laborer in Waterloo when I'm like four or five years old. And we're renting in a, we're living in a rented house in Waterloo and we're the only ones in the neighborhood with an outhouse. We were poor. My dad came out of the military and didn't have much money, never went to college. He was a manual laborer. So he gets off work as a manual laborer. We're the only house in the neighborhood with an outhouse. And um, he only has enough money to make a choice. If I'm going to take the bus home, like I came to work on the bus, I'm going to go to the store, buy a loaf of bread, and walk home. So that kind of story formed me. Right? My grandpa... Uh, lost his first set of money in the Depression. And so on that point, he, some of you are shaking your head going, I know grandpa's like that. Um, he quit trusting banks, my grandpa Bartlett. And so um, he never put another dime in a bank, but he was very frugal, and he made, saved, saved, made, saved, 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 saved. So when he died, his kids knew he had money, probably a lot of money, but they weren't sure where it was. And so they went into his attic and they found money behind the insulation. They found money in his coat pockets. They found money taped under drawers. They had to take something completely apart before they gave it away. Because why? Because he had a story that he was telling himself about money. You're sitting here today and you have stories you're telling yourself about money that came from your narrative, your, your family. And one of the things we get to do with our kids and our grandkids is we get to be sure what story do we tell. So we tell the story. Every good gift in your life comes from your Heavenly Father. We tell the story that God's okay with the provision you have now. We need to live in it joyfully. We tell the story. The first 10% needs to be given back to the work of God that reminds us that we don't have to be greedy people and it reminds us where the gifts came from. We get to uh, 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 number four. Set aside a portion of our earnings into a savings account for emergencies, giving opportunities later in life. And I'm going to go to number five. I don't know if this is the next slide. When we live that way, we live each day with an open ear towards heaven, eager to respond to any whisper from God regarding my resources. Two groups of people here this morning. Some of you are here and you make seven or eight or nine or ten dollars an hour and you're barely squeaking by. It's hard to live in America on eight dollars an hour. It's hard to raise kids on eight dollars an hour. In our church, we have a whole bunch of people who are working hard to do that. And we want to say we understand and we know it's hard. And the principles are still true, but we want to partner with you. Um, my first time to Haiti, I was standing with the pastor uh, on a Saturday night, and he said, Dave, I want you to teach in our church tomorrow on stewardship. I said, I don't think I can. I don't know what it's like to be a Haitian 
and need to bring some of your extra rice to church. I don't know that level of sacrifice. And he said, you know God's word, you teach it. And I had to that night, I, I struggled all night in my bunk, saying, is the same principles that I've taught to affluent people true for poor people? And that night in my bunk, I figured out God is God. And if he can do a miracle with my money, he can do a miracle with anybody's money. He can. So even if you're an $8 an hour person barely striving to get by, I'm saying, yes, use some of these principles. Try to get reconciled to God. Now, some of the rest of us are inflicted with affluence. Let me talk to you. I actually like talking to you. I feel like Lynn and I have been affluent since our kids finished college. <laughs> okay, you, I got some amens with that one. Um, and at some point, affluent people draw a line that says, enough. This is enough. Lynn and I did this 15 so years ago. This is enough. This is what we'll spend. Anything God gives us above this, we will invest, we will save, we will give to God. And so a lot of us who are inflicted with affluence need to be able to draw a line that says, enough. This is enough. And now I'm going to use the rest of the talents God gives me in this way. Uh, Zacchaeus got it all at once. He got the joy of following Christ and the joy of understanding money all at once. When he said, I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor and anyone I've cheated, I'm going to give them four times repayment. He got it all at once. Uh, in America, it's harder to do that. And so I'm just saying, you know, we, we hope and pray that every person is considering Jesus as Savior, rescuer from sin, shame, and brokenness. And then, after that, Jesus as Lord, reconciling what we know about forgiveness and giving and all of that together. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to continue to worship. Let's pray together. Father, uh, we are blessed people. One, we're blessed by you the way that in joy you reach out to us. We're blessed by you in the fact that uh, you... Uh, You sent Jesus to die for our sin, shame, and brokenness. We're blessed by the fact that veterans across the nation have helped us have a free nation in which to worship you. So we're blessed. We're also blessed, Lord, with uh, uh, physical gifts like warm showers, warm homes, coats. Thank you. Father, help us uh, be reconciled to you in uh, the area of our finances. In Jesus' name, amen.